Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and there is only one place to start and that is the news that Thomas Partey is an Arsenal player which we waited a long time for. Uh, I think we spoke about this in one of the very early podcasts that we did. I remember watching Thomas Partey um, go to right back against us in a Europa League semi-final against Atletico Madrid from centre midfield after Vrasalico got sent off in the fifth minute or something. And he was unbelievable. He was an absolute monster at right back. You couldn't, couldn't do anything with him. When I look at our midfield, and I picture Thomas Party in it, you know, of course I'm going to say this, it, it, it's party time. I would love this player. <laughs> I've read that in so many places. I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but it really did. <laughs> For me, I want a great centre midfielder who does a bit of everything, breaks it up, progressive pass, Huge stamina, physical. He is everything we need. I think he's a ready-made Premier League player, and I think he—I <laughs> mean—to say what he does from from the centre of our park in comparison to what we have, there's no comparison. Anyone who's been drilled uh, to play in a defensive midfield by Simeone gets my vote. I think right age profile. Again, look, no say, no. There's probably no resale value, but. If we can make this happen, I think it's one we absolutely need to make happen. So, obviously, we were very excited about the prospect of signing Thomas Party at that time. Uh, I'll be honest, I thought that had been and gone, um, to be honest, certainly going into be- uh, deadline day. But what a lovely surprise, Andre. Yes, I mean, I like Tom Party. Everybody does. Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I was waiting for that to come out because uh, when you sent me that voice uh, audio clip of that, um, I laughed for ages and Laura looked at me and was just like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, let's start first and foremost by analysing him as a player or what we understand of him as a player. I know I talked in the previous podcast about uh, the fact he went to right back in the main game. I remember seeing him and he was incredible and you just couldn't get past him. But I read a whoscored.com article comparing him and Uar when we were more strongly linked with Uar. Um, and it was really favourable to party. I mean, to say he's an upgrade on Lucas Torreira, just in terms of what he looks like he'll be bringing. And I, I only compare those two because... They've literally swapped. Um, we have upgraded massively, and what it it could it could without getting ahead of ourselves, it could transform our midfield. It is completely thrilling, and the buzz around that sort of timeline yesterday was so much fun. Uh, you know, as soon as you heard we were going to pay the release clause, and then news is coming, and then we've paid the release clause. Oh my goodness, why can't I say that release clause? <laughs> <laughs> it just we've never paid one before I guess that's the excitement apart from Suarez we'll come to that um never um <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm absolutely delighted and he joins an illustrious list of number 18s Gilles Grimondi um Nacho Monreal and Mikhail Silvestre as well as Pascal Sigan. I was going to say, I was jumping in. As someone who owns a Pascal Sigan shirt, I was uh, c- going to be quick to jump in there and uh, remind everyone of the uh, 
infamous number. But uh, yeah, really, really exciting signing. Um, uh, when I heard about it, I was actually at work and you broke the news to me that uh, we'd been linked with him um, and that we were making a move. And when I saw that, obviously, and I spent the rest of the day uh, in between teaching lessons of PE, um, looking at Twitter and at every opportunity, seeing what the latest was. And it seemed like every time I checked, there was another update about something that happened, whether it was that we were willing to match the release clause, whether it was that um, he was having a medical, whether it was well, whether he did or not. It's kind of up for debate about whether he was flying to London and all of these things coupled together just made it a really, really exciting day. And transfer deadline day, far too often for Arsenal fans, has been so disappointing with uh, either really, really unimaginative signings or just no signings whatsoever. So to have something completely out of the blue like that, um, I know we have been linked with him heavily, but it was so exciting to have a transfer like that. And I don't think I've felt this sort of giddy about a signing um, probably since the, uh, when Mesut Ozil signed on um, after after the North London derby victory. Mm. So uh, that was probably the last time I felt like this. And I, th- I, I, I think it's a, a signing that we hope will completely transform our midfield uh, into something a lot more solid than it is. Uh, I think Mikel Arteta has really made us a, a, a tough nut to crack from the defensive side of things. And putting in a, a big tank of a central midfielder in Thomas Partey uh, hopefully will make us even more difficult to beat and hopefully we'll add something going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, actually, I read, um, I, I watched, I should say, a video of Diego Simeone talking about Thomas Partey and talking about his work in the transition and how crucial he is for that, whether it is intercepting play. But I think um, you described him as, uh, uh, I actually can't remember, whatever you described, tank, that was it. And I think he yeah. is a tank, and but I think he's a real all-rounder. I think don't, um, I think from what I, I think is I don't think we need to downplay what he can do for us offensively. You know, we do need more creativity, but I think we saw in the Sheffield United game what could be done. And with a base as strong as that, I mean, it is a transformative signing. Uh, um, I also, I, I don't know, I, I quite like, I know uh, Aubameyang is African, but I quite like it when Arsenal have more African players. I don't know. It's more associated with success in recent years. We've just always kind of had uh, African players being in our team. And I quite like what, as a rule, they tend to bring. Um, uh, you know, if I just think of some of my favourite players, I mean, Toure and Lauren, you just love everything about them. And I think Partey's got a bit of that about him, just that spirit, because you know a player from Africa has done more than a player from Europe to reach the top. I always feel that really brings something. And I'm just so excited to see what he brings to our midfield. Um, You know, anyone who's... It could be a case that the shackles are off. Can you imagine playing in a Simeone? I do admire him greatly as a manager. Um, He is the epitome of shithousery. Um, (laughs) You can't knock that. He's like a... he's, 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 He's an Argentinian Mourinho. But... I'd hate to play in a Simeone team. And I do think maybe we'll see an even more exciting side to party. Um, So there's no doubt. I mean, him next to Ceballos for most games is how I see it going. Uh, And I think we'll start to see Xhaka get phased in and out. But maybe I'm wrong. And if you went with a midfield three in a game of Xhaka, Ceballos and party, that is a really strong midfield trio that could match up quite a lot of teams actually I think you know that excites me quite a bit 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I, 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 I wouldn't rule out, like you've just said, about potentially Arsenal moving to a three in midfield because I think uh, the big issue with that is is that we didn't have players maybe that had the, the legs or the athleticism to get get around the pitch. And obviously we kind of helped to sort of fill that in by bringing in party. And if you, like you say, if you match him with, with Granit Xhaka and uh, Danny Ceballos, then I think you've got a really exciting trio there that, like you say, could cause other teams a lot of problems and make us really, really solid in the middle of the park. So that might be a way that we try to offset maybe our lack of creativity in that area by almost going uh, with an approach that Liverpool have got by getting the ball as quickly as we can to those front three and letting them, letting them do the work. Um, with securing the knowledge that they've got those three behind them that are going to sweep things up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see us go for that that sort of structure. But it's just it's just all sorts of possibilities. And I'm I'm not going to for a, for a minute pretend that I've seen loads of Thomas Party. Like I'm not that avid a follower of um, La Liga, but the times I have seen him, I've been really impressed with him. And he, he seems like a really dominating figure in the middle of the mm. park. Um, and I think that's something we have been missing desperately, just having someone in there who can get hold of a game and really, really impose themselves physically. So I'm really, really excited. I can't I can't stop emphasising how excited I am about it, but uh, I really, really hope it's a, it's, it's a sign that represents the beginning of something quite special under Mikel Arteta. Yeah, it, it, I think it's. I think it could be a transformative signing. But also, uh, have you? Did you see? Uh, there's a guy called Frimpon. Um, yeah. Did you see his reaction? And like, just him saying how, you know, he was talking about Atletico Madrid. Because why would you, in the right mind, go from Atletico to Arsenal? I know there's a release clause, but Party wants to come to us. Make no mistake, and he wants to come to Arsenal specifically. It's pretty clear because. His release clause, so many teams need a central midfielder of top quality. And if you read anything about our dealings with this, we've worked on it for two years. And the fact he's so excited by the project just tells you all you need to know. But we are such a massive club and still such a pull. And I think that is something that cannot be underestimated as part of this deal. But like you said, you know, uh, that Frimpon he was going on about Ghana uh, and how much they love Arsenal. And it just made me really excited that, to have someone who I think, like you've just said, could be someone who in our midfield, people are genuinely scared or worried about playing us because of what our midfield can do again, is so exciting. Now, without wanting to pull this down, I have to say, I do still think to nail the top four, we needed another central midfielder. Um, Absolutely. Before we talk about outgoings, of which there were barely any, um, I think for Arsenal to become ultra competitive, I think we need that other central midfielder, you know, whether it's um, the chap at Leon who I've said, I've done his name to death now, you know who I mean, um, or, you know, another, surely there's a better midfielder out there, a third midfielder than El Nene, but this is the start. I mentioned uh, at the very first podcast we did at the start of the season, I said I'm more excited for next season than this one. And I stand by that. And a signing like this is why. Because if you now add another one, that is just so exciting. And this is a step, you know. I, I think let's calm down on expectation. I'm sure he's going to be great. But he can't run a team on his own <laughs> coming straight into the Premier League. So, yeah, 
Um, I still think we needed another one, but I'm I'm so thrilled. And actually, if we were going to sign just one, I do think Party has the qualities that are very different from every other midfielder. You could argue um, Uar and Ceballos are closer, or at least what Uar has, perhaps Saka can offset. But Party, we don't have players with his quality at all. Not, not at all. Um, it, 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 I, I'm going to go back to that word you said about being a transformative signing, um, and it really is. And I, and just to echo what you said about um, him coming from a, a side competing in the Champions League to to Arsenal, just shows that we still do have that pull as a football club. And I think it's really obvious from the outset, outside. Uh, just how exciting a project that Arsenal are at the moment and with Mikel Arteta at the helm it's, it's something which it feels like the, the possibilities are kind of endless about where this could go um, providing he continues to be backed and obviously in this transfer window I think we've done very well in terms of bringing in Thomas Partey and Gabriel as two sort of major signings that come in and make us instantly better um, so it, it's really exciting, um, a really exciting time to be an Arsenal fan. No, I was just going to say the only thing that I can't get away from is I just want to see him in the flesh live. Yeah. And that's really hard to, you know, all the excitement is somewhat tempered for me by the fact we're only going to see him in an empty stadium. But we'll get there. And, you know, I just go back to it. What a last name. A party. <laughs> Party! We've got someone now in field called Party. I've had I've had three texts this morning uh, from different people saying, um, "Surely you're getting Thomas on the back of a shirt." Oh, surely you are, though. <laughs> well, right, right. I've shot myself in the foot with this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a bit of a tangent here because I mentioned <laughs> in a previous podcast that I got Tierney on the back of the home shirt. And obviously, we had a bit of a joke about me being a 30-year-old man and getting players on the back of my shirt. And the reason why is because I started a collection of football shirts um, over lockdown. And I went all the way back to the year of my birth and tried to sort of fill in as many shirts as possible. And I've pretty much got all of them. And I found that the shirts that I liked reminiscing about the most were the ones that had player names on, regardless of who they were. I managed to pick up a third shirt that had Podolski on the back. And that was one which I just I just enjoyed sort of reminiscing about. So when it came down to getting the shirts this year, I sort of made the decision I was going to get player names on it because I quite like the idea of five years from now, ten years from now, looking back at what I have and then thinking, oh yeah, I remember that player, and this, this, this is what this is why I got them on the back of that shirt. So the shirts I have is I got um, obviously Tierney on the back of the home shirt. The away shirt I actually went for number eight Arteta, and I because I'm a child. And the third shirt I went for Saka, which I got obviously number seven. So I'm absolutely devastated that at this stage I cannot get a Thomas Party shirt. The only saving grace is I'm almost certain next year when Socrates leaves, um, he will probably take number five next year. So I'm I'm holding off for Thomas five next year. Yeah, I like it. But also, it could look like you've had a shirt for your 18th birthday. That's the only... Thomas 18 could be something, you know. Yeah, whereas next year, it will look like I got it for my fifth birthday. Yeah, and, and I've just, just, really... just held on to it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> get it on uh, Get it on an old shirt, Thomas 5. Um, love it. I mean, um, that Arteta 8 one, you hadn't, you hadn't told me that. That is a, that is a move. 
Mr. Dad. That's a bold um, move, isn't it? It's very bold. bold. Steve, <laughs> Steve Bold. <laughs> um, another number five there for you. Um, so one of the things I uh, wanted to talk about as well was outgoings. So the outgoings we saw were Matteo Guendouzi, which was expected. And I want to touch on that first. So do you think it's... Oh, I could hear a seagull there. That was uh, lovely. It sounded like Guendouzi flying into the distance. This is uh, the joys of living by the coast. <laughs> yeah, lovely stuff. Um, Guendouzi, I believe it was rumoured that he rejected Hertha Berlin at the start of the window. And now he's there and he tweeted about looking forward to getting back on the pitch. Now, I think this player believed he was going to Barcelona, PSG, and maybe another club in England, wherever. I don't think he saw himself going to Hertha Berlin. Um, without, I don't know too much about the Bundesliga. I don't need to know much to know that, you know, I know they tried to sign Xhaka. I know they've got a bit of money behind them. I know they're not much of a team. Um, traditionally, do you not think it is indicative of his, do you think this could be sort of the reality check he needed, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say? Uh, yeah, I think probably going to Arsenal from uh, from Lorient was probably, was that where he came from? Yes, it was. For, and they were in League 2 at the time. Yeah, as well. yeah so coming from to, to Arsenal from Lorient was probably... Uh, something that maybe elevated him above his station. I mean, you just have to look at sort of media reports of his uh, past past um, time at different clubs, and it, it's always been controversial. So I don't think it's all that surprising that this has happened whilst he's at Arsenal. Uh, but I do think, like like you say, he maybe needs to sort of like be reined in a little bit to. Uh, to maybe make him appreciate where he's at. Um, if we if we go back to the Brighton game, which was his uh, his last appearance for Arsenal, uh, and what he's rumoured to have said to Neil Mope was that I make more money than you, and that sounds like the attitude of a very immature young man and someone that really really needs to have the sort of their their world levelled around them. And I think this whole process with Mikel Arteta and this whole controversy is probably. Not been good for him in the short term, but in the long term, I can I can see that genuinely probably being a make or break moment for his career. And going to the Bundesliga and going to Hertha Berlin, where he will play, you you would assume every week. Uh, it, it certainly feels like a, a very very important season for Matteo Guendouzi. I don't think for a second he's got a long term future at Arsenal, but mm. um, I do think that for his own personal development, he needs to go there, have a good season, and have the right attitude. Because if he has another incident whilst he's out on loan, um, then he's going to make himself very, very difficult to find a club that will trust him in the future. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. I, I think, well, I have to say, actually, I heard you as a teacher for the first time there, you were a very immature young man, and I thought, <laughs> <laughs> right. your, your, your impression sounded like Brian Clough there. <laughs> young, young, man. Young, young man, young man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, look, uh, I think with Gwenduzi, I don't think he'll play for Arsenal again. I think it's a great shame. I think it's irrelevant what he does with Hertha Berlin. I think I'm I think he's been brought down a peg or two. I hope he can repair things because we just talked about needing another central midfielder. Well, if he is as good as he thinks he is 
and showed glimpses of. You know, let's not. I was I liked Guendouzi whilst he couldn't head a football. I like Guendouzi as a rule, um, but I have to say, I think uh, I hope he comes back. The midfielder we hoped we'd get, and it, it mitigates the need to sign another one. But if if he doesn't, we'll do well to recoup even the eight million we we spent on him and. I think we always saw that he could go on to be something special and could be a, an investment for the future. And I don't think that's quite going to be the case. Um, and I suppose, really, talking of central midfielders that have gone out on loan, again, Terreira going on loan without an obligation or an option to buy to Atletico Madrid. Um, what do we what do we make of what do we make of that, really? I think I know we've talked about why we want him to go. But do you think, again, future future at Arsenal, no matter what he does? Uh, not, not in my opinion. Uh, I think the the main thing that the Guendouzi deal and particularly the Torreira deal highlight is just how difficult we've we've found it to move players on, um, and it's obviously been something that we've had to get certain players out so that we can have space in our squad for other players, and obviously to save money on the wage bill. It's it's very, very frustrating that we've not been able to move players on permanently because it just means that it's it's hanging over the club even next year that when they return, we then have to go through the whole process again about moving them on. So from our perspective, we want both of them to have great seasons so that they are up for grabs ne- next year. But realistically, I don't think either one of them have a, a long-term future at Arsenal and I, I'd be surprised if either were to come back and play for Arsenal again. Having said that, someone like uh, Mohamed Elneny coming back from his loan has managed to force his way into uh, Mikel Arteta's plans. But mm. I think that's I think that's slightly different because he wasn't uh, an, uh, an Arteta player uh, when he left and obviously came back to a different manager. So I think that's slightly different. Yeah, yeah very fair, very fair. They're certainly playing for their futures um, at Arsenal. But I think... I think um... Well, I say that and I actually mean the opposite. I think they're playing. We're, we're hoping they do an amazing job to elevate their fee <laughs> beyond what they are and make them more interesting assets next year. Um, OK, so let's talk about the the uh, elephant in the room. Elephants, I should say. Mustafi, Chambers, Marie, Socrates, Holding, Gabriel, David Luiz. Have I missed anyone? Uh no. <laughs> no. I don't seven? think so. We've got seven first team centre backs. I, I thought it yeah, I think it was because obviously did you mention William Saliba? Oh my goodness, no. Saliba. Because obviously that that's another one which is worth talking about because he was meant to be very close to rejoining Saint Etienne on on loan. Um and obviously Arteta has made it very clear that he feels that that Saliba needs another year to progress before he's ready for Arsenal. That ultimately fell through because the deal didn't get done in time. And he's another one which I read I read today that it looks like maybe he might go on loan to a championship club, which to me feels like a bit of a bit of a backward step for him. But if Arteta genuinely feels he's not ready and he needs a year of first team football, then potentially that that could be a way of uh, solving that. Otherwise he's just going to be sort of on the peripherals of the Arsenal first team. Um but in t- uh, going back to your point about the vast number of centre backs we have, uh, it's enormously concerning because you can only play a certain amount, and a lot of those players are not going to be picked that often, if at all. So I look at someone like Socrates, um, and can you really see him getting any first team football this year? Well, 
this is this is one of the challenges for me because I would say only in the Europa League we have been given since we last spoke we've had the draw. Um, it's a whatever you say about the Europa League, the group stages are absolute dross and we could play our academy and probably get through that group in first place. We will also use it for first teamers. And I'm looking at those Europa League games and looking at William Saliba and thinking, surely he can stay until the turn of the year and get some minutes. And if I was picking someone to get minutes, would I pick Saliba or would I pick Socrates? (laughs) I'd pick Saliba all day, every day. Um, I mean, I can't see Socrates playing. I think Mustafi has a chance. I think Mustafi will play. I think Callum Chambers isn't fit till the turn of the year anyway. And then I think he's going to go out on loan, probably to Fulham, especially after they had another deal fall through yesterday. But it's just, it's too many. There's not enough minutes. And ultimately, we want to be a team that plays a back four. We currently only actually play two centre-backs, you know, Louise and Gabriel at the weekend and Tierney plays in the hybrid role. So we don't play three centre-backs. So it's not like you could say, well, we've got a lot of cover for the six centre-backs or the three a game we play. So it's just, I'm really disappointed we couldn't shift a single one. Um, Even on loan, you know, that's the thing is at least we could have got wages off the the bill. I mean, I presume, amazingly, this is like painful to say out loud, but we're something like 11 weeks away from the window opening again. (laughs) Yeah. We wouldn't want this football window to take too long, would we? Um, So... Hopefully we can shift some then. And it was a very strange transfer window. But I'm I'm pretty concerned at the fact that we haven't been able to shift as many players as we hope to. And I'm sort of going, forget the fees. Why do we have this many players at the club? You know, I'm sure you've seen going round that we have to submit our Europa League squad today. Yeah. And we've got to knock out two players. And like it's a bit embarrassing for Socrates to be honest, he's a, he's a good pro. I, I actually liked him last season when he played. Um, and it's a bit sad, really, isn't it, that these players are going to miss out. Just talking about Europa League squad, and I'll let you come back in around those comments. But because the games are so easy, I'd rather like not pick a Bamiyang <laughs> and just pick him for the, the rounds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could you could be clever like that, although I suspect we, we won't be in case of emergency type thing. Yeah, yeah, you never know, but uh, I, I suspect you're probably right. Um, it, it's, it's a tough one, um, particularly having too many players within the squad <laughs> to submit. Um, Who do you blame for that? Is it? I think it's a combination. I think you have to look at the previous regime, um, and by that I mean obviously the management structure before and obviously the, the hierarchy. You have to look at that and think there's been something that's gone really, really wrong. And when you're a club the size of Arsenal who have players that other clubs just simply will not take off your hands, I think that's enormously alarming. Mm. Um, And obviously that says a lot about our wage structure and about the sort of players that we've previously brought in. And I think you are really seeing a shift now. with, with You look at our transfer business this summer, which bringing of obviously Saliba's obviously come back online, but looks like he's going to go out again. Um, Gabriel and uh, Partey as our main signings. It's such a contrast to what we've done in previous seasons. And even in previous seasons, when we've been genuinely optimistic about what we've done. I remember speaking to you at the end of uh, the transfer window last year, and we were both reasonably pleased with the sort of business we'd done. And obviously that turned out to be a complete unparalleled disaster. (laughs) So 
it's 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 really really difficult. Um, but I, I I do think we're starting to see a shift where we're getting away from that, and I think the current lot are just struggling to sweep up the mess from the from the previous regime. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, whoever's fault it is that we've ended up here, I do think it's appalling. Uh, you know, I, I'm. I've never been so frustrated at the volume of players at the club. It's never something we've ever contended with or discussed. Sure, there's been players, you know, oh, it'd be great if we could sell, you know, player X and improve on them with player Y, um, which we've all gone on about, or the need for a holding midfielder. But I've never sort of looked at it and gone, I mean, what do we do with this? And interestingly, Mustafi, Louise, Socrates are all going to be gone next season. Yeah, it's the only and, thing. And then I'm looking at we probably need another centre half, <laughs> um, but that's for another day. But yeah, there's not. It's not. Um, it's not I exciting, think, is it? That we're in. This no, period. I think. I think the big thing for me as well is that it's it's slowing down the process of what Mikel Arteta wants to achieve at Arsenal because he he can only do so much whilst we have such a heavy squad in certain areas. And until that's addressed, he's really not going to be able to really put his mark on things. Obviously, he can bring in one or two players, but I'm sure this summer he would have liked a complete overhaul of, of uh, certain elements of our squad. Mm. And I'm sure he'd be a bit disappointed that, although we've done good business, we've not brought in maybe what he would have liked. But I think we, we need to remember as well that we did bring in Pablo Mari, um, who we've not seen a lot of. And that was very much a, a signing during the Mikel Arteta era. Whether he was that involved with it is another matter entirely, but it's a signing that we made permanent and I think um, it'll be interesting to see how Arteta uses him within his squad as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, I think um, I think it's, look, it's fine, isn't it? It's fine, it's just disappointing. I, but I think we're more excited, we're more excited about the outgoings, more for what it meant for more incomings. Um, but I have to say... Gabriel, Partey, uh, Leno, Abamyang uh, pre- presents quite a, a, a lovely spine and certainly is, is full of quality that I don't think we've seen before. So um, forgetting all the players we didn't get rid of, although there's one I'd definitely like to talk about as it relates, uh, relates to another subject I think it'd be fun to talk about. So um, Meza Ozil, we, we didn't move him on. Um, of course, and I know you and I have discussed previously whether we'll see him. I can't believe we won't, although it wouldn't surprise me, based on the Europa League thing, uh, if he's not even included in that, which would be utterly remarkable. It really, I mean, I just can't, it just fills me with dread. But there's one thing Meza Ozil has mastered in recent years, and that is PR. And Oh, he's bloody brilliant at it, isn't he? Honestly, honestly, what... He, wasted as a footballer. He, wasted as a footballer. His future is so well set. My sister works in PR, and I'll say, look, this guy's coming on. He's a real hot shot. Early thirties, <laughs> you need to be employing this guy because he runs a PR machine. Um, my goodness. Yeah, I ask her if she's got any if she's got any apprenticeship schemes that he could join. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll be happy to go down to 18 grand a year. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I must remember talking of PR. Uh, I need to give a couple of shout outs because uh, a couple of people who listen to the podcast had birthdays this week. Um, so a very happy birthday to Rafi, who turned uh, 30 recently, and of course, a very happy birthday to Kelly, my wife 
whose birthday it was on the Sunday just gone. And she's so good, she still let me watch the Sheffield United game. So there's my PR done. Um, and talking of Meza Ozil and his PR, Gunnosaurus and Meza Ozil. So let's start with the news in, in a timeline. <laughs> I cannot believe we're discussing this. What has life come to? Firstly, I'd never heard of Jerry Key or Kwai or however you say it. Had you? Uh I, I hadn't by name. I knew I knew that he was called Jerry only Jerry. because, yeah, only because when I went to Man United away this year, and obviously I met you up there because you were you were up there for work. Yeah, um, I got the travel uh, the travel club up there, and all the travel club coaches sort of stop at the same service station, whether it's coming from Gillingham or whether it's coming from the Emirates. And the guy I was with um, pointed over to Jerry and said, oh, that's, that's Gunnosaurus over there. And uh, we had a bit <laughs> of a conversation about that. So genuinely, that's the only reason I know that is because this season I had a conversation about him when I was at a service station. <laughs> What's he look like? Uh, he's got a grey hair, um, reasonable height. Um, that's about all I can describe him as. But uh, I, I wanted to double check that, and someone actually posted a picture of Jerry earlier today on uh, on Twitter, and uh, it was the same man. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> someone wasn't on a wind up. All right, you'll have to you'll have to put a picture of Jerry on our social media feeds. Um, I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can find it. Like, this is Jerry. Have you seen this man? <laughs> <laughs> Usually dressed as a dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah, and as I said to you, I was bizarrely sanguine about the whole affair um, when it first released. And I'll tell you why I was sad. I don't know, Jerry. I'd never heard of Jerry uh, uh, prior to yesterday about midday when this story broke. I understand why Arsenal are making redundancies. I get it. I get the cost cut. Uh, we, we've talked at length about what, why we get it, but why it just feels so wrong when how much are you really saving? But the person who is your mascot, why? Why make them redundant? What difference does it make? How much can he be on? This is a thing that I I struggle with with this. That is not a football club. That is not a football club. That is not what it represents. I I know it's Arsenal and it hurts more because it's our club. And I'm embarrassed by it, right? It's just a disgrace. It's just such a disgrace because he's probably it, it, at a push. He's on £30,000 a year at yeah. an absolute push. And it's just sickening that we make that decision. I get it, the redundancies, it, but that is just a joke. It really is. And I'm going to read you a transcript of what I was texting my brother yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon. So he texted me out of nowhere and said, why has Gunasaurus been sacked? And I said... <laughs> I said, presumably because there aren't any games, so no need for him. Can't imagine it costs a lot to pay a dinosaur, though. So I said that. My brother then texted me and said, minimum wage on match days only. And then he said, hardly going to impact Ozil's wage bill. I then followed that up with, Mesut, would you mind footing the bill for Mr. Soros? <laughs> my, my brother, my no, brother texted me to say, Mr. G. Soros. And then I wrote 13 Jurassic Park. So we preempted. This whole Meza Ozil saga of him coming in and saying that he will pay for Jerry's salary the whole time he is still an Arsenal player. So we were joking about that. We thought it was. We, I didn't think for a second that would happen, but there you go. <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, let's let's just. This is football makes you view things through a prism and and 
compartmentalise things in a way you never thought you would. Okay, first and foremost, it is an amazing gesture by Meza Ozil. He does not yes. need to do that. There is no question. There is nothing but respect. Nothing but respect for doing that. It's hugely admirable. You know, so I've got to put that in its place before I go into what I'm about to say. But if Mesut Ozil, and I know it's not his fault he got rewarded a contract, and I know it's not his fault he needs to sit there and take it, but we probably wouldn't be laying people off if we weren't paying Mesut Ozil. So it makes you do leaps and bounds because it's pretty hard to jump through those hoops. I know he doesn't need to pay, and it's not funny calling him Jerry. It is very funny calling him the Gunnosaurus. He's paying, if he wants to pay the Gunnosaurus's wages, like good for him, like fair play Mesut Ozil, like fair play. But he is one of the reasons, and sort of, again, it's not really his fault. It's part of the previous regime's fault that we're paying him as much as we are and we're in the predicament we are. And we now have a player who is our top earner, not playing in the team, but is footing the bill for our club mascot. If you ever wanted to see a club that is becoming a bit of a laughing stock, <laughs> what more do you need to say than our club has a top earner who doesn't play but is getting is paying for our mascot? What is going on? Like I think it shows you the, the toxicity of that relationship between club and Ozil. I think, I think the big the big problem with Mesut Ozil is that he epitomises all the failings. He he is the the figurehead for those failings of, of uh, the previous few seasons, and there's always going to be a divide between Arsenal fans and I suppose Ozil fans, um, and there, there doesn't seem to be much many people in the middle who are level headed about the whole situation, and I, I do sympathise with Ozil about. Um, the predicament he's in because he's in no he has no obligation to do what he's done he's got no obligation to leave Arsenal he's under contract and as much as people will question his professionalism and how much he really cares about being a footballer um he he doesn't have any obligation we were foolish enough to give him mm. that ridiculous contract so it is entirely our fault as a football club uh however I think my stance with uh the whole him paying for Gunnosaurus is that I, every time I say that, it's going to nearly make me laugh because it sounds ridiculous. Um, but when <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> Meza Ozil paying for Gunnosaurus. But the big issue is that I think anything like that that Ozil does that is a positive gesture, I, I, I don't really think... It, of course, it would have creeped out somewhere, but I don't think he needs to make a statement on his social media channels announcing that he's doing it mm. because I think then it just looks like a PR move as opposed to him just doing something out of the goodness of his heart. Um, so I'm sure Arsenal as a football club will not be delighted about the way that that has been managed. Um, whereas Ozil will obviously come across very well from doing that, but it's the sort of thing that when you, when you do it yourself, I think you're going to open yourself up to a fair bit of criticism. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to say, I think culturally, the fact that news was blasted all over virtually every media outlet out there surrounding football about the fact Arsenal have let their club mascot go. Like, I don't understand how Arsenal has this much press. That's yeah. what I can't believe. And I can't believe that this is an opportunity for Ozil to win points. You know, and that's the thing. I just... It, 
I, I don't know. It, it fries my head, to be honest, this whole situation. I can't believe we're talking about it, but it actually needs to be talked about. And it's fun and like interesting to talk about. And I think it's something that everyone's talking about. Um, you know, we talked, we did a whole podcast about the redundancies and what it meant. And this is part of it. And, you know, there's cost cutting exercises. And then there's just what are you doing? I can't put it in any other terminology. What are you doing, Arsenal? What are you doing? How can you think letting go someone who is literally a there for the kids and the junior gunners who's been doing it for years? Um, what are you doing? The only caveat I've got around all of this, right? Jerry could could have been absolutely delighted getting a mega payoff. I think he's in his 50s or 60s. He could have been buzzing and now Mezzet's brought him back in. He's like, oh no, <laughs> i got to wear the suit again. <laughs> <laughs> I just got this vision of Jerry sitting at home. like He's counting his money. He's got his redundancy payoff. He's buzzing. He's like, oh my God, I can't put on that suit again. Honestly, I just need to live my life. I love Arsenal. I love going to the games. I'm just looking forward to not being, you know, the Gunnosaurus and enjoying it. Phone rings. It's Meza Erzil. Jerry! Jerry! <laughs> <laughs> I'm footing the bill. Oh, Meza, are you? You sure? Yes, yes, I want to see you in the big shoes. You still got the outfit. Yeah, no, I bought it. They actually gave they gave me a, you know, an older version as memorabilia but I'm, I'm looking forward to settling down with the grandkids and the wife no jerry forget all of that you'll be bored trust me i've been sitting on my ass you'll be bored you'll be bored i've covered your salary i've spoken to the club cheers or maybe me. or maybe i was just like jerry um <laughs> you fancy having a fortnight <laughs> and jerry goes no i'm too old Meza. and he says no you're never too old to do the things you love <laughs> jerry, <laughs> jerry we're getting the band back together Jerry, I know there's no fans in there, but I've spoken to them. You're called up for three weeks' time. Oh, Meza. Oh. And I just, you know, I'm sure that's not um, a conversation that's happened. Um, but maybe it is. Maybe it is. But anyway. I think we do just need to emphasise just how ridiculous a PR move from Arsenal Football Club's <laughs> perspective it was to make your club mascot redundant. It's just, I, I, I can't believe that that's a conversation that they've gone, you know what, right, who can we get rid of? Oh, the, the club mascot, we'll get rid of Gunnosaurus. What's, it just, like, even if it was just to get, just to remove him until um, fans return to the stadium, it, to me, it's just, it's baffling that they did that. Um, and I, I just, it, it was one of those ones that you just feel, you feel almost ashamed about it because I went to football last night and as soon as I got there, someone said to me, it was like, you must be gutted. I was like, what about? And they were like, you know, Gunnosaurus. And I was like, geez, it's transfer deadline day. This is the day after Tottenham beat Man United 6-1. Aston Villa beat Liverpool 7-2. And the first thing someone said to me is about bloody Gunnosaurus. <laughs> But what I can't believe is it's captured people. It's captured non-Arsenal fans. Oh, do you know what? You and I could have a rant about this for another 20 minutes. You brought up the weekend games. And I think this is a lovely point to talk about them because we did have a game, Tom. We did have we a did. game, um, which compared to some of the other results at the weekend was pretty boring. Um, but yeah, well, we are, well... I just, I just need a second to recompose myself because, because <laughs> I still, I still can't believe we've just spent about the fifteen minutes discussing that. So, I was amazed as well. I, I uh, on our Twitter page, the Boys in Red and White Pod uh, Twitter page, 
Um, I follow a very different sort of group of people on my personal one. Uh, fewer Arsenal fans is what I'd say. More, 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 um, more journalists and people in my personal life. But on this, it's purely Arsenal fans. And what I couldn't believe after the Sheffield United game was the vitriol to which we were talking about the transfer window um, after a win. I've never seen anything like it. It was like the win didn't matter. And this was such an important win against a team we did not beat in the league last season. So just putting, you know, I, I just have to express my shock that that is how people choose to consume football these days. Um, it's 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 incredible to me. It's absolutely incredible to me. You know, since we last spoke, Arsenal have gone to Anfield, won on a penalty shootout and beaten a incredibly defensive Sheffield United. Um to make it three wins out of four and have an exceptional start watching our rivals fall all over each other. It's very hard to understand how people aren't just absolutely thrilled about that and are more worried about what we, you know, and they're all proved wrong because we signed a, a £45 million midfielder. Yeah, people just uh, seem to enjoy negativity. Like for some people, I don't understand why they support a football team because they don't seem to get any enjoyment out of it. Um, just uh, when we, when it was basically announced that the um, Hussein Mouar deal was dead, um, Arsenal posted a video of uh, training a few hours later and what, one of the first comments I read underneath it was liquidate. And I was like, what is wrong with people? Like, seriously, get a grip. It's a football club. You're meant to enjoy your football club. And okay, we moan about what, what Arsenal do a lot of the time, but Arsenal give me so much more pleasure then they do misery because they are my club. They're, it's it's a huge part of my life and the social element of it and everything that surrounds the football club is so important to me. And I just, I don't feel like it is to a lot of people because they just, everyone's looking for the negatives. Um, and it's, it's quite nice to, for people to have to, I suppose, eat crow pie because everyone criticises a club and then all of a sudden Arsenal have managed to pull off a really impressive transfer a bit of business. But going back to the Sheffield United game, it was it was a really important win. And we said at the start of the season that um, I think I, I said we needed to get nine points out of 12 and write, potentially write the Liverpool game off. And I think you said at the time you, you felt we'd probably get seven. And it was so important with our run of fixtures coming up that we got those nine points. Mm. And it didn't really matter about the performances. It doesn't matter about whether we played incredible football. It was just about making sure we got over the line and we've done that in both of our home games and obviously away at Fulham. So let's just be happy that we've got those wins. If we look at it as a compar comparison to last season, we didn't beat any of the relegated teams um, away from home. We beat Fulham away from home. OK, so that's, that's, that's a good starting point. We didn't beat Sheffield United at home. We beat them at home. So that's, again, points that we are ahead of from last season. Uh, so... For me, nothing, nothing but positives about that. It, 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 if the performance was, albeit, a, a not not exceptional, shall we say? Yeah, but I think quite a lot can be made of this. Sheffield United, I, uh, I actually think they could go down. I think they are some of the bang, most bang average set of players I've seen. And, you know, David McGoldrick, how he's produced that, uh, I just don't understand because he is not that good a footballer. They're, they are, I love their style. I love what their manager does. I, I'm not knocking them. They are such a hard-working defensive unit. And when it clicks for them, they're pretty exciting to watch. 
I must say. So, but I do think they are punching well above their weight. However, yeah. they do play a deep, deep five-three-two, which is so hard to break down. And not many clubs last season, to my knowledge, anyway, I don't think anyone thrashed Sheffield United. I don't think many people won by more than two goals. And let's face it, we yeah, we could have done better for their goal. We should have won that game 2-0, kept a clean sheet, and I think the complexion's different. But to break them down in the way we did, and for me, I've got to talk about the excitement I had in that four minutes. Whoa, my throat's gone, sorry. In that <laughs> four, classic content, in that four-minute spell where you saw what Arsenal could look like. So in the first goal, you see some lovely link-up play with Willian and Pepe combining on the right. And Willian's role where he was flitting sort of across the midfield there is exactly what I hoped we bought him for. I know he's been a right winger at Chelsea, but he's older now. We need explosive pace down the channels and creativity. And from what I've seen from him, that's not going to work, but he can absolutely do a job flitting around that midfield, especially in games like this where we need him. You know, this isn't about going to Etihad and playing City off the park in a couple of weeks. But for Sheffield United, you need to overload them with quality in the top end of the pitch. And that move where we combine to set Bellerin free, again, Bellerin looks a wonderful, wonderful um, version of himself at the moment. And Saka scoring a header... um, was just an exhilarating move. And then you back that up, Pepe, that is what we we paid for, you know? No one else in our squad scores that goal. There's not many players in the Premier League who score that goal. The pace, the precision, what a finish. And that is why I'm just so excited about this player and what he can do, because he's got those moments and he's not going to do it every week. And consistency is key, but that is what Arsenal are about. Um, you know, and, and we didn't have another shot. We didn't need another shot. We controlled the game brilliantly. And if that's what Mikel Arteta's Arsenal is, you're going to have boring halves, guys. Get used to it. It's more defensive. We had Wenger. We were spoiled. This is what a good, solid team looks like. Um, I think we're not going to rip. We aren't going to score more than three in a game this season. Unless, I mean, you know, I guess we play against 10 men. We're just not going to do it. But it's very unlikely we'll concede more than three either. And we've been crying out for that. And it's finally starting to happen. So that comes with a, a more mundane you know, can be more mundane. And it's, I know it's harder to watch and I know it's not as exciting, but actually it's a results business. And if we play like this, we're going to win a hell of a lot more than we, than we lose. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to go back to the the second goal, the uh, the Pepe goal. What I loved about it was obviously the the, the power and the pace of uh, Pepe to drive into the box, but it was the little touch that he took just before his finish that opened up the space in, and it was such a cute little touch that the the space was so minute that he created, but it made enough that he could pick the the far side out. Um, and I just loved that. I thought it was a brilliant goal, and I thought him coming on and obviously the sort of change of shape and change of personnel in different places kind of um, did that. And that that's that shows you how astute and how on top of things Mikel Arteta is because he recognised we needed to do something different. And he probably somewhat surprisingly moved Arte- uh, Aubameyang through the middle because he hasn't really done that. And obviously then putting William into that, that middle position where he sort of tossed, uh, tossed and changed between... Um, the sort of left wing and the and the centre, and that really really helped us to break um, Sheffield United down. So really positive, nothing negative to say at all because we got the three points, really important three points, and now that sets us up really nicely coming out of the inter- international break. Mm. I mean, there's just 
there's there's two negatives for me actually, which are, which are, which aren't about Arsenal. Well, they kind of are because it was about the game. When someone slightly tugs someone and they're running in full flight, <laughs> it has to make a significant difference to alter the outcome. It is not a red card. Louise wasn't last man. I cannot believe that people think that was a yellow card, a, a red card. But do you know what? Even if it was, the talking point of that game was that a player went in off the ground and could have broken our star player's ankle. It yeah. wasn't even reviewed properly. Yet all they bang on about, and this is a problem. This is a this is a British football problem. Why do you care? And I think Louise, if it wasn't Louise with that slight tug, I bet you they're not banging on about the red card because he's a clown car defender, which he isn't. But because he's got floppy hair or whatever, he's vilified in scenarios like this. It's not a red card. It's not a red card on David Louise. If you've played football and you look at the speed and the gentleness of that tug, it is not a red card. Chris Wilder, after the game, by the way, was talking about John Egan. Uh, his red card in their first game and saying he got an apology from the referee about the mistake, saying it shouldn't have been a red card. But in the same breath said Louise's should have been. So which is it, Chris? Um, <laughs> Come on, Chrissy. <laughs> Come on, Mr. Wilder. Yeah. Wild opinions. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let me tell you that for free. Anyway, but I cannot believe that, that Sander Burge uh, who I don't know, I don't, I don't think he, you know, he's that type of player. Forget that kind of notion. I cannot believe that wasn't a red card. I, I cannot believe it, and I cannot believe that I watched Sky Sports and Match of the Day care more about a tiny tug than something that literally damaged people. And again, it goes back to like the Martial red card and the Lamella. You either send them both off, or if you book both of them, no one is causing any harm there. That's not physical or violent conduct. A slight slap to the throat and a slight elbow across the face. It's not a red card. <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah. You know, and, and I just think there's a huge problem because people blame VAR for those things. Nothing to do with VAR. It's to do with, you know, the idiots, the idiots watching it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I just thought that was so poor. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're absolutely spot on that there is a, a huge issue in football that... Um, they're more concerned with things like that than things that can actually damage oppo uh, opposing players. So um, not really much to add to that because I think you summarised it brilliantly. But yeah, it's a, a, a very interesting debate which uh, continues on, but I, I, I don't really see there being a real positive outcome to that at any point. But no, we'll to wait and see. We will. And, and uh, to, to finish things off, um, just because we didn't talk about the uh, the uh, Carabao Cup uh, round four victory at Anfield, um, I just want to talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles penalties. I mean, I finished the last couple of pods pods on on negatives by accident because of the commentary <laughs> quiz, but I would like to just bring up that that man should be taking all our spot kicks because I have never seen an Arsenal player be that cool under pressure. I mean. I know he's too cool for school, if you like, but like, wow, what composure. <laughs> I just, I love him. I love him. It's, it, it's, so, it's so good to, to watch. Like, every penalty he's ever taken for Arsenal has been equally calm, cool and collected. And I just, I, I'm, I look forward to the next shootout we have and pray that he's on the pitch because it's so entertaining to watch. And the way he just casually ran up to it, you just, 
I, I don't know, you didn't really feel like there was any chance he was going to miss that when he started his run-up because he just looked so composed. He did. He did. He was singing on the way to taking his penalty. He just singing to himself. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, magnificent. And then his fantastic uh, smile as he's running back as well. Was just, yes. was, that, that, that really topped everything off because I, he just... He, I wish I was that cool. I really wish I was yes. that cool, and I'm really not. I'm nowhere near that cool. <laughs> I I can't even I I can't even express how uncool I am, especially compared to Ainsley Maitland Niles. Um, I just yeah, I just love him. And one of the positives with the transfer window um, uh, that we didn't mention, just to go full circle. Obviously, we had the the contract uh, extensions, but holding on to him. Uh, we'll see what happens with him this season, but I am I am really pleased he stayed at the club, and I really hope under Arteta he can achieve a lot more because with that coolness, that is that is talent, and that is some serious you know some serious mental attributes he's got that could could hold him in good stead. Yeah, yeah, really, really big fan of him. So I hope that he really kicks on this season and uh, can really establish himself in the Arsenal team. Absolutely, I'm just I'm just gutted that with with the wins and the positivity, our next game is City away after a break. It's just such a flat line uh, after just oh yeah, all the excitement and it's just such a tough run we're going back to. But you've got to play them all at some point. Very true, Tom. Very very true. Okay, that about brings us to a close for this episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Thank you very much for listening as always. If you would like to find us on social media, we have a Facebook, Instagram and Twitter page that you can check us out on by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Mr. Grayson, thank you for your time as ever. Pleasure, Mr. Dow. Great fun. Great fun. Great fun as always. And we'll be back very soon with another podcast. Party time.